Hi, and welcome to our very first episode of Hello Movies, a podcast for people who really love going to the movies. I'm your host, Lana Gay. Sit back and enjoy as we hear from David Harbour about the ups and downs of playing Hellboy. Some fun trivia for you as we check out bad reviews of classic movies. We'll find out what people in other parts of the world consider the perfect movie snack. And our resident movie insider, Tanner Zipchin, will be here to tell us about his latest adventures on film sets and red carpets. But first, one of the most anticipated movies of the decade, Avengers Endgame. Lauren Galloway is the director and co-founder of The Marvel Report, and she just rewatched all 21 Marvel movies. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Lauren. <laughs> nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. We've got this working. So you just uh, watched all 21 Marvel movies. Do you have the most comfortable couch in the universe? Yeah, I do. It reclines. It's very comfortable. <laughs> it's great for binging. What got you hooked on Marvel? When four came out, my dad was really excited about that. And I was interested in seeing it because Kenneth Branagh was directing and he's one of my favorite directors. I love what he's done with Shakespeare. So I remember sitting in theaters watching Thor and thinking, this is Shakespeare for comic book lovers. God, it seems like a thousand years ago. I fought my way out of that cave became Iron Man. Realized I loved you. I know I said no more surprises, but I was really hoping to pull off one last one. The Marvel Cinematic Universe has been one of the most successful franchises in the 21st century. Uh, here's what Robert Downey Jr. thinks about making Marvel movies. To me, it's just the coolest relay race in the history of uh, entertainment. What do you think makes these movies so incredibly successful? You know, it's such a great question because I think every studio out there wants an MCU, that kind of lightning in a bottle. And, you know, it's hard to tell... If you just watch one movie every couple months when they come out, but when you watch them back to back to back to back, you start to sense a theme. And like something I've never really heard anyone talk about, and I think this is part of their success, is that most of the time in these films, whenever the Avengers are engaging with bad guys or they're killing other enemies, they're not harming other humans. They're harming robots in the case of Ultron. They're harming Chitari in the case of Loki's invasion. So, like, they handle the violence in such a way that you're not watching humans hurt other humans. The villains are always very well defined, and the heroes are well defined, and they don't really cross into gray areas. And I think audiences respond well to that because they want to cheer for people who do the right thing. Part of the success could be that the main characters are all superheroes, but people relate to them in a pretty personal way. Paul Rudd talks about that. It's incredible to meet so many kids whose lives are affected by these characters. And to play a uh, small part in that, pun intended, uh, <laughs> is just something I will always, always treasure. Why do you think there's this huge personal connection to these characters? 
Yeah, I think Marvel has made it personal. I think Marvel has made their actors very accessible. I have friends who go to the the red carpet premieres of these films and dress up and take their kids and dress up and, you know, stand in the hot sun all day just for the opportunity to say meet a Robert Downey Jr. or a Paul Rudd or a Chris Evans. And I think too, because all of them have a moment of like a breaking point, a moment of honesty in their journeys. And I think that is something that MCU does so well is how do you take a billionaire and make him relatable? How do you take a super soldier and make him relatable? I think in all these films, the MCU has done that. If we do this, we'd be going in shorthanded. Yeah, you mean because he killed all our friends? We owe this to everyone who's not in this room to try. Now with Endgame, the hype obviously is huge in the first hour of ticket sales. Endgame broke box office records. What do you think it is about this film that has people so, so excited? Whether someone is a really casual fan and maybe has seen some of the films in theaters, but not all of them. And then all the way to the diehards who've seen them all in theaters. I think people understand that the Marvel Cinematic Universe as we know it is coming to an end point with this specific cast. And I think everyone wants to know, one, how are their journeys going to end? This core group of Cap, Thor, Hulk, Hawkeye, Iron Man, Captain America, Black Widow. Like, are they going to die? Are they going to retire? Is a great sacrifice going to be made to bring back everyone who Thanos snapped? Do you think any of the characters are going to die? Like, who's 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 your money on and why? Because we know we know Spider-Man and Black Panther, they both have movies coming out, so their survival's pretty much guaranteed. I honestly don't think anyone's going to die. I think the surprise here would be if it looked like everyone was going to die, but then somehow they didn't. But who knows? I mean, we might lose them all. <laughs> it's like, you know, the the price at the original six might be the price to pay to get everybody else back. So I could go either way. Now that you've rewatched all 21 Marvel movies, other than Infinity War, what are the must-sees before Endgame? If people are cramming before Endgame, I would definitely watch Captain America the First Avenger because of the importance of the Tesseract. Then I would watch The Avengers because that is when Thanos initially sends Loki and sends his force through that wormhole. Captain Marvel, if you haven't already seen it, go see it. Um, Not not spoiling anything, but so good. And there's an Infinity Stone in the movie, which is important. People are excited for Endgame, but I feel like it's a little bittersweet. They'll be sad too, I suspect, because we all grew up with the characters. And this is the end, at least for some. And, you know, the cast as well are feeling all these feelings, like Don Cheadle and Scarlett Johansson explain it in this clip. It's rare to have that kind of an experience over the course of of 10 years with the same group of people. To get to keep coming back to these relationships again and seeing where everybody is and people that had kids. And so it's really nice. You know, I'm amongst so many wonderful actors, so many strong actors, and uh, just grown beyond my wildest dreams I could never have imagined. It's been quite a journey. We're the Avengers. We gotta finish this. You trust me? I do. Is this really the finale? There have been so many surprises with this franchise. Is Endgame really the end? I would love to see these characters come back in other films. Um, I think the best way that they've done that so far is with Peggy Carter, 
because we see her old in Winter Soldier. We see her past in Civil War. We see her at S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters in the beginning of Ant-Man. So I think there's ways to keep everyone around, even if there is a finality to Endgame. Lauren, you're a superstar. Thank you for taking the time. We appreciate it. And have a great time at the, the show and forever doing all the Marvel super stuff. Awesome. Thank you. Do you check out reviews before deciding to see a movie? I do. Film critics, they're considered experts, but they're also just people with opinions. Let's not forget that. And sometimes they get it wrong. Really wrong. Like Vincent Canby at the New York Times, he described The Godfather Part 2 as, quote, a Frankenstein monster stitched together from leftover parts. My father taught me many things here. He taught me, keep your friends close. Put your enemies close. That Frankenstein monster of a film went on to win Best Picture and Best Director and Best Screenplay at the 1975 Oscars. Here's another bad review of a much-loved movie. Quote, It's astonishing that so much money, talent, technical expertise, and visual imagination can be put in the service of something so stupid. Can you guess what movie that review was for? Here's a hint. It was North America's highest grossing R-rated film of 1999 and went on to have two sequels. I'll tell you the answer later on. On an island off the coast of Scotland, something was summoned from the depths of hell. Something that would end mankind. Thing you worried about did it show up? Oh yes, you did. Hellboy arrived in theaters last week, and it's one of those movies you either know everything about or almost nothing. So here's a quick Hellboy 101 to get us all up to speed. In case you've forgotten what he looks like, Hellboy is a towering hulk of a dude with red skin, a tail, cloven feet, and two stumps on his head where, yes, he sawed off his horns. He also has a giant right hand made of stone called the Right Hand of Doom. Out of the ashes, new Eden will emerge. Okay, I'd appreciate a prophecy with more relatable stakes. There have been two movies about him already, Hellboy and Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. Both were directed by Guillermo del Toro. His star was Ron Perlman, who made the role legendary and the movies became cult classics. People wanted more. And in 2017, fans started hearing rumors about a new Hellboy, completely rebooted, starting from scratch. Were they happy about it? No. Just ask David Harbour, who's taking on the role of the hell beast turned hero. It's been an interesting thing on social media to see people, first off, get annoyed that we're rebooting this and get very angry at me. Fans were especially angry about Perlman being replaced by David Harbour, who is probably best known as Sheriff Hopper on Stranger Things. Harbour has already wrestled with those demons. There are so many fans of the original movie with Ron and Guillermo, and I love those movies as well. So... My take on this is that it's sort of a reinvention and we're doing something very different than those movies. To rope in the last holdouts, actor and comedian Patton Oswalt, he got the original Hellboy, Ron Perlman, and the new Hellboy, David Harbour, together for dinner. And the photo of the three of them just exploded on social media. 
Perlman shared it on Instagram saying, quote, Apparently, Patton Oswalt thought it was a good idea to host David Harbour and yours truly for a detente dinner. The result? I gained three pounds and ruined my liver. Meanwhile, good luck, kid, signed the babe. Perlman passed the torch to Harbour along with some very practical advice about playing Hellboy. I tend to take my work very, very seriously, and he... He, I think, noticed that and was like, kid, like, you know, you're playing Hellboy, like, have a good time. I very much appreciated that. And the other thing is he, he did say the makeup sucks. Get this, though. Perlman used to spend about four hours in the makeup chair every day. Harbour says they whittled down his time to just an hour and 45 minutes. And he also says that the technology has improved quite a bit. The mask actually moves very well, and I find myself being able to um, show a lot through this fake skin of like his sweetness and sort of his uh, innocence along with his rage. I mean, the mask is kind of sculpted in this rageful, demonic way, but there's a lot of play in terms of seeing remorse or sweetness or all these different emotions that can play on the face in different ways. So Hellboy, just so complicated, you know, rageful, demonic, yet sweet, funny, sort of innocent. How did he get that way? Well, the movie doesn't start at the beginning of his life, but we'll still get a peek at his origins. He jumps right into his first mission in Mexico, and uh, this creature struggles with his own identity as he fights evil. So all those origin story bits kind of are about the story of how he came to be and why he is struggling with what he's struggling with. So in that way, we go into his backstory a little bit, but it's not an origin story. It's its own story of Hellboy and this Blood Queen. The Blood Queen is played by Mila Jovovich. Ian McShane is Hellboy's adoptive father. And there's also a special ops soldier who's a were-jaguar. Like a werewolf, but a jaguar, played by Daniel Day Kim. What else is exciting? Well, the director is Neil Marshall, who's done a lot of epic TV, like Game of Thrones and Westworld. The story comes from Mike Mignola, who created the comic back in 1994. And the screenwriter is Andrew Cosby, who has a long history writing comic books and co-created the TV series Eureka. And for the first time, Hellboy is rated R. While it's being described as more of a horror movie, it's a, it's a horror movie with some sass. Now for the big question... Is Hellboy a superhero? Harbour has his own take on it. Uh, he's kind of an anti-hero in a certain way. I mean, he's got moral complexity in terms of, like, what he's struggling with being a monster in a human world. And I just love the character, you know, the fact that he's just kind of this working-class demon who is obviously very conflicted about his place in society but just shows up and tries to do the right thing. That lovable Hellboy fights both Nazis and supernatural enemies, but he's a lot more than just a tough guy. He's a monster himself, and he's going around hunting monsters. So I think that conflict is a really interesting thing. He's not Captain America. You know, he doesn't have a clear purpose. Not only is he not Captain America, he's a little more Iron Man-ish in the personality department. Do you recall the Osiris Club? Oh, yeah. Strip joint in Jersey. The other one, the British Occult Society, formed in 1866 by the ranking members of the Heliopic Brotherhood of Ra. Ra? I met Ra once in the underworld. He's a close talker. So good. This movie's likely to bring in both the longtime Hellboy fans and the newbies. And that's definitely what Harbour is hoping for. Maybe we'll try to give them something different so they can still love those movies and now they can have something like sort of wildly different that they can hopefully love as well. So it's been it's been an interesting ride. 
big thank you to Tanner Zipchin for that interview with David Harbour, done on set while they were filming Hellboy in Bulgaria. We'll also hear from Tanner later on in the podcast. And if you want to read that whole interview, you can pick up the March-April issue of Cineplex Magazine in theaters or online at cineplex.com slash magazine. Earlier on, you heard a blurb from a terrible review of a classic movie. Did you figure out what movie it was? Here's the review again from the San Francisco Chronicle. It's astonishing that so much money, talent, technical expertise, and visual imagination can be put in the service of something so stupid. Now, I can tell you that this movie had everyone talking about the amazing technical expertise and the awesome visual effects. And yes, there were two sequels made, all with the same stars and directors. And it just celebrated its 20th anniversary. I'm pretty sure you'll be able to get it, at least with this last hint. Will Smith turned down the lead role, and the person who got it was... Keanu Reeves. Have you ever had a dream, Neo, that you were so sure was real? Yes, yes, it's The Matrix, written and directed by the Wachowskis. And as Neo would say... What are you trying to tell me? That I can dodge bullets? Now, before we leave the bad reviews behind, I want to read you a review of one of my favorite movies, Reality Bites, which was back in theaters just for one day in honor of its 25th anniversary. Hello, you've reached the winter of our discontent. Yes, I was celebrating, but uh, when it came out in 1994, the late great critic Roger Ebert was not a fan. He said, quote, It's a flashy crock, another piece of self-congratulatory formula, wish fulfillment masquerading as hip. Are you religious? I guess I'm uh, a non-practicing Jew. Hey, I'm a non-practicing virgin. I respectfully, completely disagree. Love this movie. Yeah, and it was hip. That soundtrack was awesome. Um, But it also showed the dynamics of growing up and trying to sort out, you know, just the complexities of young adulthood all before the internet, might I say. And uh, it was also the first movie Ben Stiller ever directed. If you haven't seen it, I, I say it's definitely worth checking out to see what, you know, Gen Xers were like back in the day. I have a confession for you. Uh, Going to the movies for me is as much about seeing movies as it is about the snacks. But seriously, it also explains why I love popcorn for dinner and have been known to go back to the concession stand for nachos. Don't judge. Uh, Also, when VIP introduced deep fried pickles, game changer. Uh, So this this got us talking about movies and snacks. And CJ, the exec producer of our podcast, uh, was talking about a popular movie snack in South Korea dried squid dried squid i remember eating it at the very first movie i ever saw in the theater star wars and this was back in the 70s in seoul before south korea became an economic powerhouse going to the movies was expensive and so was dried squid which i happened to love so this was a huge treat i remember sitting in the dark theater falling in love with harrison ford chewing my squid as slowly as I could make it last and thinking I had died and gone to heaven. So this got me thinking, what is everyone else snacking on? 
In the UK, you can apparently choose if you want sweet or salty popcorn, which is kind of genius, right? Reindeer jerky is a popular choice at theater concessions in Norway. In parts of South America, you can munch on spicy roasted ants, which I feel drawn to as it fits a few of my favorite food categories. Crunchy, spicy, good source of protein. Samosas filled with spicy potatoes and onions and peas and lentils are popular snacks to tuck into in India. Also, fish balls on a stick happen to be popular at the movies in both Barbados and Hong Kong. But the snack that sounds pretty tailor-made for me is something called, and I hope I'm pronouncing it right, Toasty Locos. It's a, a movie snack where you get to pile your choice of toppings, pork rinds, jicama, hot sauce, spicy peanuts, lime juice, all other deliciousness, uh, directly into a chip bag, a tortilla chip bag. Sounds amazing. You eat it with a fork right out of the bag. It you know, also sounds somewhat messy. But you're in the dark. Who's going to know? And the only catch is you have to go to a theater in northern Mexico for that. Oh, Tanner has just walked in. Oh, hello. I have to ask, what's your movie snack of choice? That's got to be the the OG, like the the classic popcorn, layered butter maybe. Yeah. Fair. Uh, Of course, that is the voice of Tanner Zipchin, who needs no introduction. He's the host of the Cineplex pre-show. You are here to tell us what's going on in your world, because obviously you get the kind of inside scoop and then you get to share it with everybody. How's it going, Tanner? Hey, Lana, how are you? I'm good. Uh, we heard from David Harbour, a.k.a. Hellboy, earlier in the show, uh, so you got to meet him on set. Is he as nice as he sounds? Uh, yeah, I met him on set of Hellboy in Bulgaria at New Buena Studios. It's so surreal to see David and, and Mila full costume, walking around, having lunch on their phones. Now, did you did you get to touch the right hand of Doom? I did. It was uh, a lot less like heavy and and rockish as it looks. It was a uh, very very soft and, and foamy. A soft light hand of doom. You were also on set for Shazam, so I'm guessing that was obviously very different from the Hellboy set. Daily bats. I choose you as champion. Say my name so my powers will become yours. Shazam. Wait, for real? Say okay! Yeah, Shazam was cool. Was, you know, they shot that, obviously, not in Bulgaria. That was here in, in Toronto. Seeing Zachary Levi play this character that I don't think he was really acting when he was playing this character because he's literally like a giant kid in real life. Watching them, like, play Mario Kart between takes is really fun. And, yeah, this, the set was amazing. Like, they had a full foster home built inside one of the sound stages, which is incredible. Now, when you're on set, do they put you in a zone? With the Toronto Day, there were a few other outlets there. So there was a lot of us. So they kind of kept us hidden away in like a, our own little room in case someone had their phone on. Even if you're not in the set, they give you like headphones and you, a monitor so you can see what's what's going on. You can watch the, the case of Shazam. I watched Zachary Levi like fly into a wall and then fall to the ground about 28 times, which was which was you think would get old. Doesn't get old. No, I, I would definitely be there for that. No, it was it was it was one of the best days of my life. Okay, so you were at CinemaCon in Vegas. Yeah, CinemaCon is just like a essentially Comic Con for people in the movie theater business. So all the exhibitors and movie theater owners go. Uh, the studios have the presentations about what's coming up and what we can expect in the new year. Sometimes we see trailers for the first time, but the best part is when they talk about something, they they usually have 
at least some members of the cast show up. So if they're talking new Terminator, we saw Arnold Schwarzenegger, we saw Jim Carrey for Sonic, uh, and you know Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham for Hobbs and Shaw. And then those people, of course, you know, hang out for a bit, do some interviews, walk the red carpet, and uh, definitely had some fun on the red carpet with uh, with a lot of the guests. Do you ever get nervous about who you're interviewing? Yeah, some people, I mean, you, I respect some people a lot, and you know, someone like Jamie Lee Curtis, I who I want to be when, when I grow up, you know, when she's on the red carpet. A little intimidating. My first time talking to her was last year at TIFF, so this was my second time. She did point out that she was wearing the same outfit as the first time we talked. Good memory. Which I think is also really cool that she's, you know, a multi-millionaire and just like, she just, she's practical, you know? Don't need the fancy stuff. You don't need the Gucci shoes. Um, but yeah, so cool and uh, a little intimidating, but all around pretty cool person. Okay, so we have to mention Avengers Endgame. It comes out next week, but you know about the two-day, maybe almost three-day nonstop, 22 Marvel movie marathon. You've spent a lot of time in movie theaters, my friend. Uh, What would you bring with you for that kind of experience? I mean, probably some of, maybe like the Visine, like the liquid tears to keep those eyes not, you know, from drying out. That's a lot, that's a long time to stare at a screen. You might want to keep those uh, those uh, babies moist, and uh, and then probably uh, an astronaut diaper. Because you know what? You don't want to leave. That's the problem. You don't want to miss something, right? It's true. Okay, Tanner, we're excited to talk to you after Avengers Endgame, so you'll you'll come back, right? Yeah, I'll come back. Okay, great. And yes, we'll be back too. That is it for our very first episode of Hello Movies. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll have new episodes for you every two weeks. Please subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any comments or questions about anything you heard on the podcast, let us know at hellomovies at cineplex.com. Hello Movies is brought to you by Cineplex Entertainment. Lori Ulster is the writer of our podcast. Sarah Cooper is our producer. Ellie Gordon-Marshall is our sound designer and mixer. Our series consultant is Jeff Ulster. And our executive producer is Katherine Jun. A special shout out to Tanner Zipchin. I'm Lana Gay. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>